this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Hi there, Colin Nottage here and welcome to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. A few things I just want to uh, give you a bit of an update on. I'd love you to... Uh, to subscribe if you really are enjoying this uh the podcast or if you can share that'd be really cool you know get um you know let's start let's start really spreading the word about uh about the the content that you uh they actually get with this you know really really appreciate that um and just likes you know if you can put some likes in um again really appreciate uh if you can if you can go to the effort to do that um i am joined by a, a really lovely lady a lady called amanda potter she's an award-winning leadership um executive coach She's a chartered occupational psychologist and a certified principal business psychologist. Um, she's got years of experience, 25 years, even though if you have a look at the picture, you wouldn't believe she's um, she's old enough to have 25 years of experience. Um, but just an absolutely lovely person. And um, we get into psychological safety in a big way. Um, so please, I'd love to welcome you to Amanda Potter. Okay, Amanda. Thank you, thank you so much for joining me today on the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. It is, I'm really, I'm really excited to be having this conversation today because we're going to be talking about uh, psychological safety, which is something that's really, sort of, really just big news in in life in general. But before we do that, could you just give us a little bit of background of, um, you know, of, of who you are and, uh, you know, and what, you know, what what it is that you do? Thank you, of course. Thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast. So. To introduce myself, my name's Amanda, Amanda Potter. I'm a psychologist. I've been working in this space for 30 years and I'm a researcher. So each year I find a topic that really interests me and I go out to understand it in detail and then work out what, what is good about that topic that would be useful for our clients to understand. And this year's topic is psychological safety. Right, okay. Okay. And um, I mean, what what have been some of your previous topics you've spoken about? You know, you've 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 uh, you know looked looked at what's uh, what else? What have you looked at previously? So I work for a company called Zircon, and our research is predominantly around talent because we're a talent consulting firm. Our most of our research in the last few years has been around resilience and imposter syndrome. So they're two topics that we particularly have been focusing on, as well as of course psychological safety. We also do quite a lot of work around strengths, so bringing a strengths-based culture into organisations. And another one is decision-making and problem-solving. So how can you create um, organisations and teams that make effective decisions that are disruptive and innovative? Wow. I must admit, you know, um, um, we'll come, we will come back to psychological safety in a little bit, but I'm just fascinated by some of the stuff you're talking about there. Um, I, I um, have got a, like a, a sort of a, a coach and a mentoring business and, um, um, and we get together once a quarter to talk about, to talk about stuff. And um, uh, at the last, at the last quarterly mastermind that we had, we, we meet more frequently in the quarterly, but we have this mastermind every quarter. Imposter syndrome was one of the things that came up and it's just so, it's just so fascinating that, you know, and how people, you know, self-doubt and, and, and all these sort of things. And we've got some amazing people, you know, right at the top of their game. And even they are, even they are sort of, you know, suffer with it. You know, it's just, it's just so fascinating. 
It really is. And it's it, what it used to be regarded as a female syndrome. So it was initially researched and regarded as a syndrome that only women experience. But actually, the research has shown that men equally suffer from imposter syndrome. And over 70% of us at some point in our career will believe that we are not worthy and that we should not be there or someone's going to find out that we're really not as clever or as able as they think we are. And it has a significant impact on our ability to show up at work and be innovative and to challenge and to question and to present yourself in a, in a way that actually is well regarded by yourself and others. So it does have a significant impact. Mm, oh, definitely. I think the thing I was always, I was always told, I do quite a bit of training, you know, and I was, you know, you go on to stage, you know, you go on to stage a little bit nervous. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's good. That's good to be a little bit nervous. But, um, you know, I was always told, you know, look, you know, don't worry, because the people that are, that are out there know so much less about what you're talking about than you do, you know, so just do it, just go, you know, go and enjoy it. As long as you, as long as you enjoy what it is that you're talking about, then, yeah. then you're going to, you're going to come across, you're going to come across well. And yeah, Sorry, that's strengths. That's the whole concept of strengths, which I absolutely love. The idea is that if we can work out what we enjoy and we practice it, then what will happen is we become great at it. And there's nothing bad about focusing on the things that you enjoy and spending time doing those things at work. And people who do that are less likely to feel like an imposter. Um, what is really interesting is the two most common types of imposter syndrome are the expert and the perfectionist. So people who feel like they should know everything and the people who feel like they should get everything right and they should be perfect. So they are the two biggest causes of people feeling like they might be an imposter. Um, <laughs> I, um, I'm going to want to get you back on and talk about that in a little bit more detail, but we'll do that if that's, if that's all right with you, but we'll do that. We'll do that another time. Um, Cause I, I do really want to get back onto, uh, um, you know, psychological safety. It's, it is, it is a topic, as I said, that's really, really important. And I just wouldn't mind, could you, could you just sort of explain a little bit about your, you know, you know, your take on it, you know, what, 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 what is, you know, what is it? So imagine I said to you, Colin, that you can only run this podcast if you had, got a PhD, if you had got 30 years worth of experience in PR or marketing or communications, and that you were an expert in this field, what it might do is might, it might give you an emotional reaction, a trigger that makes you think that, wait a minute, maybe I'm not worthy, imposter syndrome, or maybe I'm not going to be included and if you have that sense, what you might be experiencing is a threat to your psychological safety. Psychological safety is about feeling included. It's about feeling safe to take into personal risk, to make suggestions and to be part of something that's important. And when we feel safe, we are more likely to take into personal risk, to make suggestions, to ask questions, to innovate, and to come up with new ideas. I, I, I really love, I love that, take, taking, taking that into personal risk. What, what do you mean by that? So the godmother of psychological safety is Professor Amy Edmondson, and she's at Harvard. She talks about psychological safety and interpersonal risk in terms of candor. So speaking up, 
just literally feeling like you're in a safe place with people you're connected with, who trust you, who understand you. And so therefore you can speak your mind more freely and challenge your colleagues if you think something is wrong or something could be improved. Mm. I think that's, you know, that's so, <coughs> sorry, that's so sort of relevant, you know, in the health and safety field that I work in, I think probably one of the, one of the areas that is, that is most weekly undertaken or weekly completed is, is getting people to, to actually come forward. You know, we, we call it near miss or near hit reporting, I think is one of the, is one of the terms that you can be used out there, but just, just getting people to feel comfortable to come forward and talk about stuff, you know, is, is, is really, is really, really difficult. And I, and I just love the idea of actually, you know, actually saying that, hold on, in actual fact, we want you to take a risk. We want you to, to step, to step out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, you know, we, we don't want you sticking your hand in the conveyor or anything like that. <laughs> what we want you to do is we want you to take a risk with 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 your with your voice and your mind. I suppose is that is that is that how you see it? It is. I think I'd like to bring in another concept, which is the concept of cognitive diversity. So teams that are diverse, they think differently to one another. And that might because, be because they have different strengths. So if you imagine you have a team member who's very much about detail and perfectionism and being articulate, and then another team member who's all about ambition and growth and striving, if they were to solve a problem, they would challenge each other. And it's that challenge that they have with one another that creates conversation, it creates debate, and creates a safe conversation because it's okay to disagree because they understand that they're both coming at it from different perspectives. And so really the idea behind psychological safety is about embracing diversity, embracing difference, but particularly cognitive diversity. It's okay to think differently to your colleagues, to have a particular viewpoint and to voice that opinion in a constructive way. And so psychological safety is not about being complacent or being nice. It's most definitely about embracing all of the ideas in order to come up with the best solution possible and not trying to adhere or comply with the most senior voice or the most powerful voice in the room. And, you know, and, and you know, for, you know, I'm just thinking about organisations that I work in, you know, the, you know, getting the getting the middle management in the business to to really, I suppose, to be open to to the people that are that are that are, I suppose, reporting into them to 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 be critical. You know, that that must be one of the one of the bigger challenges that you that you face when you go into an organisation. Is that fair to say? I want to be careful here. That I'm not forcing you down a, a particular route or down a down a, down a way at all. But you know, how do you feel about how do you feel about that as a comment? I find actually it's not the middle managers right. that are okay. the most difficult when it comes to psychological safety. It's actually the most senior leaders that are the most challenging. Right. Manager, middle managers experience keenly the impact of psychological safety. So if they're working in an organisation that feels toxic, where they are unable to challenge, to question, to admit mistakes or they're feeling like they have to defer to leadership, or they have to have con 
have a consensus driven culture where they feel like they have to agree. And if they don't agree, then they would be identified negatively. I think middle managers are at the heart of it. They really feel it keenly. Mm-hmm. Actually, we need to, this is a top down process that we need to influence organizations. So we need to educate senior leaders in the concept of psychological safety. And we need to help them understand that this really does create an environment for success. Mm-hmm. If we can educate them on what psychologically safe teams look like and impact on performance on on commitment and engagement it has a a significant impact that rolls out across the whole organization and it's particularly felt by middle managers Mm -hmm. so how do you go you know how do you go about influencing the people at the top then you know what is the you know obviously i'm not expecting you to give all your trade secrets away of your of your organization but um you know, but can you give us a few pointers, a few a few ways that you try to, to influence the people? So we have a number of steps that we take. One of the things I would start with is to say, be very careful. So some organisations and some people are very cautious about the concept of psychological safety. And so the first thing might be to actually talk more about business success, creating the environment for success or team dynamics and success. And that's because people who believe themselves to be at blame, who might be feeling like they are the reason why there is a lower level of psychological safety than is required, they immediately close the door to the concept Mm. because they want to avoid the discomfort of the conversation around it. So that's the first thing. You have to be careful about how you position it and how you have the conversation. The second thing is that we have a series of products. So because of the research that we've conducted over the last few years, we have built a model of psychological safety that has 10 aspects to it and have built two products. One is a questionnaire that is psychometric and you can use to assess an individual's level of psychological safety, how they feel about the organization and team. And you can also assess that team and organization or a digital card sort exercise where an individual or team can go in and assess how they're feeling about the organization or the environment in which they're working. So it's a diagnostic and that diagnostic is a starting point for conversation. Love what you say there about how they how they feel about an organization. Because I think, you know, I mean, you know, if, if you're in a larger organization, you know, individual sites are going to be so different. You know, there's not gonna there's not gonna be one size that fits right across the business. It's gonna be it's gonna be different, um, you know, depending on the experiences and the and the management and the people that are in those places. So do you, you so once you get a once you get a feel, once you get an idea of how these these individual hubs are, you know, are graded or rated or whatever it is you can then then start to start to look at at how you can then transform that is that uh is that fair to say it is very fair to say and what's so interesting because if we look at the 10 aspects of psychological safety they are for example teams that feel safe are more likely to speak up and share ideas they're more courageous they're more inclusive they embrace diversity they're more candid and honest So there are a few examples of the 10 criteria of safe teams. 
But you, for, for example, Colin, you could be working in one team and experience all of those things, feel all of those things. You could then literally turn 90 degrees and be working in another team and feel none of them. And that's because psychological safety is very fluid. It's not something that you achieve and you tick off in the same way as you might with safety standards. Actually, it's quite different. It's a feeling or an experience. And it, it very much depends on the dynamics and the leader and the way in which that leader communicates and engages the team. <coughs> Sorry, I, I see it very much as, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of these things that the better you get at it, the, the harder you have to work at it to maintain it. Because, you know, it's probably one of those things that can get, can get destroyed and get damaged very, very quickly. You know, yeah. take a you know, long time to, to build and then very, very quickly to knock down. Oh, totally, totally. It's, and the reason for that is that we have a negative information bias. I know we talked about it earlier. If you think about the neuroscience behind psychological safety and the fact that the strongest and fastest part of the brain, the amygdala, which is responsible for fight and flight, is constantly scanning the environment for potential threats. And the amygdala, because it's the fastest and the strongest part of the brain and is responsible for producing or sending signals to produce adrenaline and cortisol for us to equip ourselves to fight or flight, it's because of that that we do naturally have a negativity bias. We naturally zone in on the things that are not working and we put to one side all the things that are working so you're absolutely right you do all these things fabulously <coughs> get one thing wrong and nobody forgets it mm. uh, or, and will continually remind you of the time you got it wrong mm. so you know so have you have you worked in organizations then where they've been going along really well and then and then something has happened you know an event has happened that's that's taken you back had you how could how do you go about rebuilding, you know, sort of rebuilding the program, you know, rebuilding that 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 trust? I think it's about not being unrealistic. So we have worked with organizations, a number of organizations who are trying to create an environment rather than a culture, an environment or a climate of psychological safety. Mm. And the key is not to set expectations that are too unrealistic but actually to understand that it is most definitely a journey and it's making me think of the brilliant author bj fogg who wrote the book tiny habits and the concept of tiny habits is the fact that in order to create change you need to make small incremental changes of things that you enjoy doing and that's the same with any type of culture change or climate change is you have to make very small changes and get buy-in and then keep and keep moving forwards and remembering that it's the journey. So even if you have a what seems to be a backward step at any time, you're still on that journey towards that, that kind of greater goal, if you like. Mm. And so we help our clients to be realistic about what is it that they want to achieve and how are they going to get there, but realizing that everybody is human and everyone comes to it comes to this with their own emotions and their feelings and some may be more resilient than others and able to cope better than others and we have to account for all of that 
It was just interesting what you, um, you and I'd like you to expand on it a little bit, the difference between um, a climate and a culture. Are you able to, to, to talk about that a little bit, please? Sure. So let's start with culture. Imagine I was speaking to a number of people within an organisation about what is it like to work in this organisation. What they would normally refer to is culture. The culture is the observable patterns behaviour within organisations that most people can access because it's front of mind. And it usually refers to and relates to the structure and the rules and the processes of the organisation. It takes time to develop and it influences the norms and how you interact and how you engage at work. Whereas if I was to ask someone, what does it feel like to work for a team or for an organisation? We're talking about climate and that varies from person to person and from team to team. And it evolves and adapts over time. It's much more fluid and the experience really depends on the dynamics and the people within a team and the tasks they're being asked to do. OK, so I suppose in a way, I suppose the, 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 the climate is a little bit it's like a, a microculture on a, on a really small level, you know, in a, in a, in a, small, a smaller area. But that, that, <laughs> that all has an influence on the on the over the overview i mean one one of the things that we um that we hear a lot within um you know within the health and safety world is the safety culture of a business and yeah. and you know and businesses are trying you know sometimes trying to strive to improve the safety culture is that is that possible i, I mean this might be an impossible question but but it, is there is there a culture that's different from a safety perspective than other bits of a business or is, does a business just have one culture and, you know, and, and whether it's safety or in environment or quality or profitability, it all fits into that one. Is it, it may be impossible to answer that, but I just wonder what your view was on that. So my view on safety culture is that I think it's driven, my view on culture is always that it should be driven by the values. So what are the things that are important to the organisation? Where are they investing their time? Where are, where are they telling the stories where are they, in what way are they educating their leaders and their employees? And so for me, it's about what is important and where are they investing? So if, they are, if it is important that they're a safe, they have a safe culture and they put safety first, and they also invest in their employees' education and their knowledge, then I do believe that people start to think safety first and therefore you can embed culture because it becomes part of the language and the processes and the systems on a day-to-day basis so it shapes people's thinking Mm -hmm. whereas climate as we've said before is much more about what does it feel like and so I've worked in organizations and they've been clients in the past so a reputable oil organization where safety is so pronounced that you're not allowed to walk down the stairs, for example, without having one hand free to hold on to the, the post. And so for me, when I came from the outside in, that seemed extreme. But that's because safety reverberates through the whole organisation at every level, and it absolutely drives what they're about as an organisation. Mm. But there, yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the downside there is there's a rule that's being put into place that is, you know, that, you know, if you become very, very heavily rule focused, you know, you will do this and you will do that and you will do this and you will do that. You, you, you run a chance then of, of people actually 
being t- taking risk you know maybe. because you actually want people to to maybe to maybe think a little bit more rather than just being just being told it's, it's a really fine balance this isn't it it is and one of the things i find fascinating about the concept of psychological safety is that we are encouraging people to think we're encouraging people to challenge to question and actually it reminds me of a quote by Bertrand Russell when he said the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people are so full of doubt and he's referring to the concept of functional stupidity functional stupidity is when a group of very bright people are encouraged not to think or to reflect at work and what that results in is groupthink, predictable decision making, status quo, trusting the community, following culture and rules blindly. Mm. And teams that feel psychologically safe <coughs> wouldn't do that. They would challenge. They wouldn't focus no, narrowly on why or how something is done. They would ask lots of questions. And they wouldn't necessarily just look on the bright side and avoid negative information. They would try to understand the whole picture. And so the reason why psychological safety is so important is it stops the risk of consensus-driven cultures where everybody follows the most powerful or the most vocal member of the team and just agrees and just proceeds, but actually stops the team and pushes the team to think differently. Mm. I can remember in the industry that I, I worked in, came you know years ago. There was a there was a ban in in one company for rigger boots. Okay, not allowed to wear rigger boots, and then that went right across the business. And I, I can remember chatting to one of my health and safety advisors who was a fell runner, and uh, and he said he he said oh, look, I run I run over really really um, dodgy ground. He says and and my my shoes. I've got no ankle support whatsoever. You know what they've got? They've just got really good grip. He says, you know, so it's, you know, the rigger boot, which is, is, is alleged, you know, allegedly hasn't got great ankle support actually really wasn't a problem. You know, the problem was, but, but the whole industry pretty much said, right, we're going to do this. And, uh, and off we went down that, that group think way of doing things. And I was, I was part of that. I was part of that problem, you know, and it's, it's so important to, to, you know, to, to, I suppose to challenge, to continue, to continually challenge your thinking and reflect on what's going on. And uh, I think you know that's one of the uh, that's one of the things I think I'd like to think that I've got better at from doing things like this, doing this uh, this podcast. Do you do you reflect a lot? I do. I can't help myself because of the research that I do. It, it challenges my thinking. And what's interesting is seeing how my research and how our products and our methodologies have changed over the last twenty years. So Zircon is twenty years old this year. And the products are all under the, the brand of Be Talent, but they're so much better. Every year they get better and better. And I almost look back over the last few years and think, oh my goodness, I can't believe I was sharing that, that theory because actually my theories have developed and developed. They're getting better and better all the time. So by the time I'm 80, I'm going to be marvelous. <laughs> I think you'll find your marvelous now. <laughs> even more even more marvelous i think is what uh, is what happens but yeah, i think it's all the same you know when i listen to the first the very first podcast that i've done and I, you know i listen to myself on there it's it's quite scary and you know and you just get to you just you just adapt and you get 
to do the thing that you ultimately you're happy with and how it works you know what i mean but what you've got i suppose you know the real advantage that you've got is an, a load of a load of science a load of evidence that sits behind the work that you're doing you know and that's uh you know that's that's really really powerful so yeah. <laughs> so what is the um you know is, is there any is there any new thinking or is there any you know from from a psychological safety perspective just I, I, before i ask that question i just want to just going back one of the things that you spoke about was um was was and the way you worded it was a group of intelligent people um you know can have the group think but um what about you know right right the way through the business i mean how how far down do you do you, do you go with you know trying to get people to, to you know from a psychological safety perspective is it is it right the way through you know or are you completely, trying to completely completely right the way through mm. um there was a really interesting piece of research by an author called thompson and she was looking at groupthink and contribution of teams and she found that in a team of four people two people do 60 percent of the talking in a team of four people, three people do 70% of the talking and a team of eight people, as you can see how it goes. And so very often when we're in teams that are um, very large, we the quieter people, the introverted people, <laughs> contribute even less. And the same we have found in our research, as you go down the organisation, the more junior people contribute less. And... The idea behind psychological safety is that everybody contributes and everybody has a voice. Because when we look at significant differences, so we look at significant differences in our research according to age, gender, ethnic origin, uh, regional differences as well. The greatest difference we find is due to age. And that's because we come into life in, in de different generations. So people were born in the 70s versus the 90s have got a very different experience of the world. And so as a result, people who are coming into organizations and are more junior, they're coming in with new, fresh ideas that are really worth listening to. But the sad thing is they're often overlooked. And I was talking to a client only a couple of weeks ago he said he'd been at Heathrow because it was an organisation that supports the airline. He was at Heathrow with senior leaders and they were grappling with a challenging conversation and problem all day. He was in the car on the way back on his hands-free car phone and he rang one of his most junior team members and posed the question that they'd been trying to grapple with all day. And he immediately came back with the best answer that not one of them had thought of because he wasn't in the field in the same way. And so that diversity is so important and that safety for someone to be able to say, actually, I've got a different perspective on this is why it's so critical that in teams, we get give everybody a voice, particularly large teams. And at lower levels, we give even the most junior people the voice because someone new coming in can say, why are we doing it this way? It seemed crazy to me because they have a different perspective. And they think differently. I really love that. I can remember years ago, I used to I used to work in South Wales, and um, I worked on a site. There were these two water lagoons, and between between the water lagoons, there was this pipe that fed water from one one side to the other. 
And we were doing some uh, we were doing some training about if there was a blockage in the pipe, how you would send somebody in to to clear it out. Okay, and you know, and there's all all the all the risk assessments and controls and everything like that that was that was going on. And um and and there was there was a, a lot of very intelligent people uh, on this session looking at this problem. And there was also a lad on a on a what we call an excavator, one of the machines, um, who was sitting at the back, and and we just said, let's let's get him over to have a to have a look at this. And he came over, and he and he came up with the answer, the solution, almost immediately. And he said, well, why don't we just dig the pipe out and just have an open trench between the two lagoons? That way, it will never block. And everybody just looked at each other and just thought, we've been looking at this problem totally wrong. You know, we've yeah. just been, you know, yeah. you know, we've, you know, we've been looking at, we've been looking at how, rather than why. Why? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's exactly the point that Bertrand Russell makes: is that if you focus on the how, you completely miss the why. So that's a great example. Yeah, that's right. No, that's really, that's really interesting. Really interesting as well. So, <coughs> sorry, my cough. My cough is uh, is uh, getting a little bit worse here. I mean, I'm sure I didn't bring any water in, so that's uh, that's my mistake. Yeah. So, so I mean, where um, you know, where I was looking to to take things was. You know, from a from a psychological safety perspective, then, you know, where is where is the sort of the latest the latest thinking then about you know about how we go about you know sort of implementing and introducing a program? You mentioned about you know getting the buy in from the people at the, the top end the top end of the business, but how do you how do you go about sort of cascading it down? How does it how does that work? So, from experience, the way we're running it with clients is that very often it starts quite gently. So, we'll run a few pilot events in a few regions or in a few hubs or with a senior team to see how the concept of psychological safety lands within the organization. That might be one way. Another way might be to do a little bit of an audit through the engagement survey. You might want to ask some questions around psychological safety. So you can understand where the risks and the gaps are. That's another in. So then you can build workshops that help to particularly target and focus on some of those areas that might be at risk. And thirdly, another angle might be around the the concept of team effectiveness. And if you go in trying to help teams to be as effective as they possibly can, and what does it mean to be successful, And if you think about all the research around high-performing teams, psychological safety has a very nice in. And I said three things, but actually I'm going to add another one, which is number four, which is around happiness. And I'm very keen on the research around physical intelligence. I think it's a great area. And in particular, I love the neuroscience behind happiness And I'm interested in the activities that we participate in daily as individuals that help us to release dopamine and serotonin, the happy neurotransmitters and chemicals in our brains. Because the more resilient and happy we are as team members, the more likely we are are to, to contribute to an environment of psychological safety. So another in with organizations and teams is to think about how happy are they, how engaged are they, how satisfied are they, and what does it mean to create a happy, engaged workforce or team. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like yeah, I really like that. You know, when you were talking earlier about the um, you know, how the number of people in a group, 
you know the the number of people that dominate the conversation becomes you know becomes you know quite quite, quite large have you have you found a sweet spot then i mean i um, again just want to give you a little scenario i i've been running some training recently with uh, with with a client where we've been just talking through risk assessments to say systems of work but we haven't had any paperwork out what we've done is just talk through the job and then and then when everybody's given their contributions about a particular job we've then said right let's go and have a look at, at what we've written and just see how, how in a lot of cases how bad what we've written is is there um <laughs> where there's been big numbers you know say 12 or 15 people i don't think it's been effective as where there's been smaller numbers have you found us like a sweet spot of uh you know when you're having these these kind of you know interactions these engagements with with a with a team that um that has been most effective what um what sort of numbers i think once you go over six which is a really small number you need to have a facilitator or a leader who is going to (coughs) ask questions direct the conversation include people and interestingly we had a delegate on one of our accreditation courses who worked with the bedouin tribes and their way of dealing with large groups and problem solving would be that they would sit in a circle and they would invite the most junior person to contribute first and then the next most junior person and they would literally go around the circle and invite each person to contribute one by one in order of seniority and age and it would then eventually get to the most powerful prominent person in the room who would then build on it what everyone has said and make the decision and so that would be their way of being inclusive and making sure that everybody has a voice and everybody is included but sadly we're not that organized when we run teams and I think to answer your question once we go beyond six people we're in within the realms of needing to facilitate because otherwise you'll hear the most from the biggest voices who are not necessarily the ones that are the most diverse. Mm. They are probably doing exactly what we want in terms of psychological safety and being disruptive. And what probably what we are getting is confirmation bias or consistency mm. bias. Mm. Yeah. Matthew, um, Matthew Syed says some amazing stuff about this. I, mean, he's a- I love his book. <laughs> Actually, I love all his books. I'm yeah. a big fan. But particularly Rebel Ideas is all about cognitive diversity. So mm. definitely recommend reading that book. I think one of the, one of the things I really loved when I read it was, you know, is that, you know, diversity is so much more than just than, than ethnicity and, and skin colour, you know, because, mm. you know, if you, you know, if, you, if you're going through Harvard, you know, and you're, you're Indian going through Harvard, you're Pakistani going through Harvard, you're going to come out with a similar a similar way of thinking of, of, of somebody of, of, of white origin has gone through up and it's sort of you know and it's so easy just to fall into that trap of of just um you know of looking at diversity just in you know just pure pure via race or color there's so much more to it you know we, and we yeah. can spend we could spend hours talking about that <laughs> we could in fact there definitely is a topic which is just cognitive diversity we're working with an organization at the moment who has an average Um, length of service of 19 plus years just over 19 years and the impact of that is homogeneity which means that everybody because they've been through similar experiences for the last 20 or so years they very quickly conclude when something is going to work or not going to work on the basis of their previous experience and they celebrate 
how consistent they are and how much they avoid failure and the extent to which they are aligned. And in fact, they they focus on collaboration and consensus as being a driver for success. Now I'm working with that organization and now I'm encouraging them to think differently and to be more courageous and actually to disagree with each other and to think a little bit differently. Mm. So it's very interesting. And I completely concur with uh, Matthew Saeed's work. It's mm. absolutely brilliant. Because it, because it is, you know, because what you're saying there is a, a lack, of, a, they see a lack of failure as success. And it's, and it's not, you know, it's, uh, you know, failing and learning and adapting and getting better is, is so much enough. I hate that phrase, um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Oh, that does my head in that. You know, it, you know if, if it's not broke, then how can we make it better? You know, yeah, that's, absolutely. You know, that's what we should be saying. You know, there's so many, you know, there's so many organisations that and people that have that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that, that really annoys me. But uh, there's not a lot that annoys me, but that does. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting quite, we're getting close to, to the end of uh, the session here. So um, I, w- I wouldn't mind just sort of finishing off, you know, a couple of things. What, what have you, you know, because I went on one of your um, B-Talent uh, accreditation programs today, and I found it really, really interesting and really engaging. How often, how often do you sort of run those things and how, and how can people find out about the, the different topics that you, that you do run? So we run the courses monthly. So we have a number of products within B-Talent, mostly around talent. They, of course, is in the name. So we have courses on strength, decision-making, team effectiveness, inspiring leadership, resilience and psychological safety and a few others. They run monthly, they're virtual courses. Anyone who is planning to work with our products in the future for culture change, for recruitment, for development, facilitation or coaching is very welcome to apply to register on those courses. It is better that those people are experienced in the world of consulting or in change or in psychology maybe or HR because of the concepts that we're building but actually they're just really open fun programs they, they're each about three hours long mm-hmm. and you can find out about them at btalent.com forward slash accreditation brilliant and um and how can how can people get hold of you are you you know what's the best way to get hold of you if they want to find out a little bit more so on our website, btalent.com, there is a contact us page. And if they click on the contact and send me a little email, the emails do eventually get routed to me by our technical director. So I will get those emails. And so they're very welcome to contact me. So I probably undersold myself a little bit at the beginning of this in that I'm the CEO of Zircon Talent. I was the founder of Zircon 20 years ago and a co-founder of Talent eight years ago, which is the product and platform that we've been talking about today. So that's wonderful. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much. Be back. Thank you. Cheers there. Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time and effort to come onto the show. It was um it's it was lovely. It was lovely, lovely, lovely chatting to you. And um, you know, and hopefully there's some really interesting stuff there for people to uh to take on board about this this topic that's so important. To be fair, 
there were five, five, six, seven topics that I could have chatted with yourself about. Um, and, um, you know, we'll come back to, uh, this imposter syndrome and resilience and things like that at a later date. But, um, you know, psychological safety, just some real, really interesting things. You know, how important it is to get the senior, the senior people in the business really, you know, sort of understanding the principles of it, but don't frighten them by it. I think that was a really, really valuable point that you, uh, that you mentioned there. I loved the idea of uh, of getting people around a table and getting the person with the least experience, you know, the most junior person to talk first. You know, very, very rarely do we allow that to happen in business. And I just think, you know, taking that kind of concept, taking that kind of approach to begin with, you know, that person might be quite scared. You know, they might be quite frightened to actually to actually be open and honest um, about the uh, the things that they want to talk about. But over time, you know, that will just become something that is just really powerful, you know. And then, as you said, you know, the person, the most senior person at the end, just then bring in all the, the learning from all the different people from the business together and coming up with a solution. Wow. You know, that is really, really cool. Um, you know, so that's definitely something that I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be using that technique and using that idea as, um, you know, as I, as I, you know, trial some of these things in my, in my consultancy. Um, I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm a, now accredited to deliver some of the B-Talent um, um, courses and, and programs. And, um, you know, really please do check them out. Go and have a look. And if you need any help with implementing anything, then 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 give us a shout. Um, but, um, you know, just really a great big thanks to uh, to Amanda. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, to getting you back on again in the near future. Thank you ever so much. See you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilised in the real world as the only solution available, as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Colin Nottage.